MDO is not necessarily the right answer. We think it is right now. So we also need creative thinkers to test our assumptions and to test those things that we assert in this concept. The best way to be able to create deterrence is to be able to demonstrate your ability to integrate these domains in those theaters all the time. Welcome to The Convergence, the Army's Mad Scientist podcast. I'm your host, Luke Shabro, Deputy Director of Mad Scientist, and I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Sanispert, the Combat Capabilities Development Command's Armament Center within the Army Futures Command. Mad Scientist is a U.S. Army initiative that continually explores the future of warfare, challenges assumptions, and collaborates with academia, industry, and government. You can connect with us through Twitter, at ArmyMadSci, or subscribe to the blog, The Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil. On today's episode, we're talking to Lieutenant General Eric Wesley. Lieutenant General Wesley is currently serving as the Director of the Futures and Concepts Center in Army Futures Command at Fort Eustis. General Wesley has served in numerous operational units throughout his 34-year career and served as a Staff Officer and Director at the Pentagon and White House. Prior to taking over the Futures and Concepts Center, General Wesley was the Commanding General of the U.S. Army Maneuver Center of Excellence at Fort Benning, Georgia. We'll be talking to General Wesley about multi-domain operations, modernization, and the future Army. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Department of Defense, Department of the Army, Army Futures Command, or Training and Doctrine Command. Let's get started. Thanks, Luke. Great to be here. Appreciate this. Yeah, we're happy to have you, sir. And since you're technically my boss as a director of FCC, we'll make sure we give you softball questions and about. keep it easy. Um, so for, for sure, you know, everything's been focused in AFC under these modernization priorities. And as we try to build the future army to really be able to fight within the multi-domain operations concept. So, sir, can you really explain to our listeners what MDO is all about and what role FCC plays in that concept? Concept. Yeah, first, I, it's important to talk about what is a, what is a concept, what, it's, what is it for, what does it do. Concepts, when written well, are infeasible. They, 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 they give you an azimuth or an orientation to solve problems that you, you see now and in the future. And so it's a, it is a forcing function for the institution to change. But what is, what is MDO, I think, is, is the question, and, and what makes it different? You know, if you look over time in history, the number of domains in play in a given um, theater contest um, have increased exponentially over time. You know, back in the origination of warfare, you really had one domain. It was the land domain. And then as, as, uh, as nations scale grew, the, both the sea, maritime domain, and land domain were there. And then in the last century, we saw during World War II, the air domain suddenly introduced. And then in the 1980s, we saw the space domain. And then just 10 years later, we had the cyber domain. So you see this exponential increase over time. The second thing is it's important to note that our peers have invested in ways such that we don't necessarily dominate in all of them all the time. We could always count over the last 30 years on the idea that we could pretty much dominate any of these domains and we couldn't be contested. With small investments, our peers have been able to get to a place where we don't automatically own them. There's two ways that you can solve that problem. Spend a lot of money so that you continually dominate all domains or you get very good at integrating them at the right place at the right time. The namesake, multi-domain operations, really talks to this ability to integrate 
each of the domains such that when you add them up, the total is greater than the sum of the parts and therefore you create overmatch where you want to. So the essence of multi-domain operations is the ability to integrate domains very rapidly. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. And I, I think that helps explain a little in terms of questions about what makes this different than Airland Battle or, or previous ideas. Um, but let, let's assume everything develops as we've hoped over the next eight years um, through the CFTs and the building of these new platforms. And as we integrate in the concepts, what does that MDO capable force look like? And, and how does that really transform the Army? Yeah. So first thing I should tell you is, uh, although um, integrating domains is the essence based on the namesake, of MDO, of, of what MDO is, there's some other aspects to it. One of them, in addition to being able to integrate domains, is the idea of competing left of conflict. Because we're removed from the theaters that we want to be able to contest in, Indo-PACOM, Europe, um, you know, the United States traditionally is isolated. The, the best way to be able to create deterrence is to be able to demonstrate your ability to integrate these domains in those theaters all the time. So that requires you to be there. So if I were to describe um, MDO in the future, what you would see is a forward postured United States in a, in a way that gets us into those theaters so that one, we can compete left of conflict. Um, that requires a forward posture and it also requires a little bit more aggressive approach in terms of how we engage our peers every single day. And then that, combined with the ability to integrate the domains very rapidly, is what is, is the posture I would think people would want to see in, in the future. Sir, so in order to, to reach that, um, the Army is going to need new capabilities. So in, in your opinion, what are the biggest hurdles in pursuing these new technologies and capabilities like next generation combat vehicle, long range precision fires, and, and the others that will enable MDL? Yeah, so those, those are all uh, understandable systems that we would invest in if you want to create M an MDO force. If you want to be able to get into theater and be able to um, very rapidly integrate capabilities, those are all systems you want to want by. The big hurdle, though, is not necessarily the individual systems. The big hurdle, as I already described MDO, is the ability to integrate them. You know, we in the past, we all the services were very good at taking their capabilities, their weapon systems, and federating them into a synchronized plan. But that's a fairly brittle approach or hierarchical industrial approach to integration. What we're talking about is how do you how do you rapidly integrate those or change the kill chain in in near real time? Um, we would in the past in wars or preparation for war we had a 72-hour uh, ATO or air tasking order. Essentially, what it was you you would target 72 hours out. We think you're going to have to be able to do that in minutes or even seconds. So the big hurdle isn't those systems. It's the ability to rapidly integrate those systems or change that integration on the fly. Sir, so that's a great answer, how you, how you integrate these capabilities. Um, so let's, let's move a little bit and talk about the other services now. So multi-domain implies that it won't just be the Army uh, operating by itself in this future OE. How do you involve and integrate the Navy, the Marines, the Air Force, not only in operations, but in the conceptualization of those operations and training? Yeah, I joke often um, with my Navy friends, I've seen more admirals in the last six months than I did in the first 30 years of my career. Um, why do I say that? Um, in addition to being funny, is the fact that um, you, you see now the 
services converging. There is a definite recognition that we have a challenge with the investments that our peers have made. And the only way, because remember, it's all about integration. The only way we can solve that problem is not to each go invest in our stovepipe systems and just make um, a Mobeta Navy, a Mobeta Army. You, you, we have to work together so that the systems we do invest in are, 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 can talk to each other, uh, very simply stated. So there is a, there is a forcing function by virtue of the problem that is driving the services together. War games are, are things that we spend a lot of time working together on. There's a, a globally integrated war game that we just participated in last fall where all of the services see the merits in this. Second th thing that is going to drive the services together is the chairman and the joint chiefs, uh, rather the chairman and the secretary of defense, have stated that we need a joint warfighting concept. You've talked about, we've talked about MDO for the Army, but there has to be a joint version of that. So there's a common understanding of how we will fight together so that our investments are consistent with that. Sir, and as a follow-on to that, uh, how does that answer translate to our allies as well? You know, I get this question a lot. Um, there are, we have a lot of partners and allies around the world. All of them have varying degrees of resources available. And, and sometimes when we brief MDO, they um, might, some nations might be intimidated by the implications of costs. And typically what I answer them on is, look, every nation comes to the game with different niche capabilities. And what the nations need to do both collectively and individually, is what, what is our niche? What do we contribute that nobody else can contribute? And invest in that, and then with, through the partnerships and alliances, we identify those niches and fit the pieces together so that we collectively are better. I think that makes a lot of sense, sir. And, and kind of just shifting to a little more personal in terms of, of your view. Um, so you had a wide variety of experience throughout your you know three decade plus career. You've been a tank platoon leader, scout platoon leader, plans officer, a logistics officer. You've served several years in the White House. What experience out of that do you really feel helped most prepare you um, for this large challenge that AFC and, and FCC are tackling right now? Yeah, I'll give you two, two um, experiences and, the, and, and it's the two together that um, have probably given me a lens to look at this problem. The first one is I was a deputy to a brigade commander in OIF-1. And you recall OIF-1 was really the last time we conducted large-scale ground combat operations where we were trying to integrate all the services and all weapon systems to achieve a very rapid uh, advance on an opponent. That, that experience is the sole experience I've had in my career where th I was able to see the battlefield through a lens similar to what we might see in the future. We don't fight wars like that very often. And so the amount of experience that's resident in the Army that replicates what a large-scale ground combat operation looks like, there's not a lot of it out there. So that, so I can see, kind of get a vision of what the battlefield might look like and the requirements that will, will be resonant in the future. Now, the other side of that is the other experience, and that was my experience. You mentioned it in, in the, my, the time in the White House. That was a fascinating time for me because what you saw was rather than the Army, which is a fairly homogeneous culture, 
in the White House, when you're when you're looking at the interagency, you're not looking at homogeneous culture or homogeneous behaviors. And the need to be able to integrate multiple cultures, whether it's the Justice Department, the State Department, Department of Defense, the intelligence uh, agencies, um, all those agencies and, um, and government institutions, they raise people in a different culture and therefore think differently. And so your need to uh, make compelling cases for that, those requirements that I described in the first example in order so that we invest in the right things across the interagency, um, I think are, are two experiences that give you polar views but have to come together in order to solve these problems in the future. I, I think that brings to light a really good point, sir, in that um, we're dealing with a complex future operational environment that's really three-dimensional in terms of not only the domains that we have to operate in, but the agencies that we're going to have to work with, especially as you talk about working left of conflict when we're in that competition phase. That's really a whole-of-government type approach, um, and I think that we're, we're going to have to focus on that in the future. So that's great experience, sir. Now, you know, as we talk about this MDO uh, capable force within 2028 and the MDO ready force out to 2035. We're talking about really, uh, excuse me, soldiers and leaders that are going to be in this force uh, that are not even in the military right now. So we're talking to, you're talking to potential recruits, future soldiers in that 2028 timeframe. Some of these people are in middle school and high school right now. What would you tell them about the future army? Why would they want to be a part of this future fighting force? Well, I think the main reason is because, um, look, we, when we d drafted MDO, um, it's not uh, a concept that describes uh, what we want to do. It describes the world as it is, and it describes the world and where it's going. So the first thing is, the, these are this is a generation of young soldiers who are growing up in an environment that gives them the capacity to think in the future the way you'll have to think. So that should be the encouraging point. But if you wanted specifics, we're going to need leaders and soldiers who can think with great agility and then be able to create synthesis between a number of different ideas, dynamics, and technologies to create an effect. They're growing up at the right time because the generation that we see growing, they, they learn very very quickly. They have the ability to um, intuitively pull different technological capabilities together very rapidly. So those, those things that they already do now on their apps, on their iPhones, um, in gaming, are skill sets that we will want them with their creative agility to help us get better and better. Um, I think the second thing that I would say is that um, we will require a cohort of leaders who have the ability to understand the implications of their decisions with respect to ethics. Because decisions that are made with agility in near real time require an individual to have a core ethic to ensure that those decisions um, match who we are as a nation. And so those are, you know, developing an ability to uh, make ethically sound decisions very rapidly and the ability to synchronize and synthesize technology very rapidly with agility and creativity are, are, are skill sets that I think we'll need young kids to develop in the future. I think that's a great point, sir, and, then, and I want to uh, focus on the, the speed of the future, as you said, and I'm going to use that as a segue to move into what we call our quick-fire questions here. Um, so the first of which is, what technology or trend keeps you up at night? 
The most important one is joint all-domain command and control or multi-domain command and control. If there is one um, singular essence or problem that the joint force has to solve, it's the ability, like I've, you heard the, the the theme of this discussion is the ability to integrate very rapidly. We can't have exquisite kill chains. We have to have the ability to pull them together very, very quickly. So what's something that most people don't know about you that you're willing to share on the podcast? Oh, well, it's clear. I'm a big football fan, right? So, and, and, and so go Chiefs. Um, <laughs> this is important because, um, you know, the reason I think I like football so much, it is, it is the one sport that most replicates campaigning or, or large-scale ground combat. You know, you can imagine that the football season is the campaign. The, the games are the battle. The coaches are the generals. The, you know, the, the, the quarterback is your, your tactical level commander. And, and, and it's a constant fight, and, and it, it integrates all aspects of life, leadership, management of personnel, management of talent, training, all those things that come that are very similar to Army life. I, th I think that makes a lot of sense too, sir, because football has probably been the most evolving sport and there's all these opportunities to change um, because you have to adapt to your adversaries. And look what we've got now. We've got, we've got um, quarterbacks, running quarterbacks who can throw and run. That's a change. And look at the, the teams that are winning can do that. Um, go Chiefs. And so, <laughs> you know, Patrick Mahomes is, is the new general. And, and, and you can't stay static. You've got to adjust to the game. Um, sir, so our, la our last you know, rapid fire question. We love to ask everyone, and most people consider it to be the hardest question. Uh, what is your favorite movie? Yeah, yeah, I might take a pass on this one and go. Can, can I talk about my favorite book right now? It's called The Long Gray Line, and it's not necessarily about West Point, but it's about generations who rise up. And it's a, it follows a class in 1966 out of West Point and, and a number of leaders who join, join the military. Not all of them stay in the Army, but they all are leaders throughout the culture. And what you find is each generation, when it rises up, you get the baton and you lead. And so there's a, there's a generate, we're at a, we're at a, we're at a flexion point in our nation right now. We, we, our generation has been used to being a dominating nation and we, and we could influence the world on behalf of our values. Um, that won't always be the case unless we get invested and involved. Our generation is now, and even you talked about the next generation, who every generation rises up and, and you will be tested. We will be tested in the outcome. The degree to which our nation continues to influence the world on behalf of our values will only be answered once that generation sees the output of their investments. So I'd encourage anybody to read um, Long Gray Line. It's not just about West Point, it's about generations. Absolutely, and general officer's words gets translated into action, so if you're listening, you'll have to make a movie uh, out of that book. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, sir, as we wind this down, is there anything else we didn't cover that you'd like to, to tell anybody? No, I, I thank you for um, giving the opportunity to talk about this. Um, look, MDO is not necessarily the right answer. We think it is right now, so we also need creative things to test our assumptions and to test um, those things that we assert in this concept. And we'll constantly be evolving and changing, but we think we're on the right path. Um, the Army right now is in the best place it's been since the early 1980s to change in accordance with, with where the world is going. We've got a concept, we've got a modernization strategy, we've got investment dollars, and we've got an Army Futures Command that's driving this thing home. General Murray, under the leadership of the Secretary and the, and the Chief right now, uh, General McConville and Secretary McCarthy are putting us on a pathway that will enable us to continue to sustain our way of life the way we believe it to be true. Fantastic insights. Thanks for joining us today, sir. And uh, that'll do it for the Army Mad Side Podcast. Thank you, sir. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to The Convergence. You can follow us on Twitter at ArmyMadSci. Be sure to subscribe to our blog, The Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil.